Coming up, some football news for you. Baker Mayfield was traded to the Carolina Panthers for a conditional fifth-round pick. I talk some baseball also and a bunch of other stuff. All that and more coming up next on the Rami LaVie podcast. Stay tuned. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, there it is. Welcome back. Episode 75 of the Rami Lavi podcast. Great show for you today, as always. It is Friday, June 8th, 2022, and it's a huge day in sports because the Tour de France is heading into the mountains today. That's right, everyone. The moment we've all been waiting for, the Tour de France going into the mountains. And there's an American by the name of Nielsen Paulus who could potentially podium. Podium, I think, means that he's going to be a top three I don't know how many people are on the podium. I'm assuming three because there's a gold, a bronze, and a silver, although it's cycling. So who knows? Probably not like that. Anyway, that's obviously not what I'm here to talk about today. But I was just on the phone with my parents, and they told me to open the show with that. So I did. Or they asked me to talk about it on the show, and I figured they wouldn't get very far in the episode. So I decided to open the show with that. Um, Just kidding. They're very supportive. Now, I don't know if he's actually doing well or if it's just my father who has a fantasy cycling team who uh, thinks he's doing well and has convinced himself but apparently it's very rare for an american to do well in the tour de france since basically neil armstrong did really well i'm googling if it's neil or lance armstrong because he was able to cycle so far he got on the moon no obviously i'm talking about lance armstrong (laughs) he's the cyclist who uh did really well and was on steroids and had cancer lost a testicle that whole thing if you don't know what i'm talking about uh google him Lance Armstrong, not an astronaut, not Neil Armstrong. But apparently since then, there haven't been so many great American cyclists. And so this guy is supposedly making history as he's going to be doing really well. And we'll see what happens. There's seven stages in out of, I think, 21 total stages in the Tour de France. Obviously, I'm kidding. I'm not actually talking about that. But that's how little sports there is going on. I was really hoping Kevin Durant would come to a decision. But at the end of the day, this is kind of something interesting about Kevin Durant. And before I get to him, shout out. So shout out Zalmi and uh, my father and everyone who are really interested in the Tour de France and following it very closely. Uh, they they tell me the, the people pedal very fast in the Tour de France, faster than average. It's kind of like uh, Joey Chestnut eats hot dogs faster than an average human being, like way faster. So these people pedal way faster than your average human being. I guess it's all sports, technically. They, that Garrett Cole throws a lot harder than an average human being anyway not the point the point is that uh there's not a lot of sports going on if i'm rambling like this you know there's not a ton going on at the moment obviously this podcast is not going to change there's going to be a ton on this show we got guests lined up we got sponsors we got fun stuff we got games uh lots of stuff going on here but kevin durant could have made our lives a lot very interesting but the nba teams just aren't interested in him right now and that's the bottom line no matter what people are saying no matter what you thought was going to happen You thought there was going to be a bidding war for Kevin Durant? Well, think again. 
the Nets have come out and said essentially that there hasn't been the bidding war that they'd hoped there would be. There hasn't been the bidding war that they thought there might be. And there hasn't been as much interest in Kevin Durant as they would have initially thought. And I'm not surprised. I told you so. Because think about it. If you're the Suns or the Heat, the teams that he wanted to go to, I said there are restrictions, reasons why they couldn't trade for him. And now the Nets also have to agree to the pick. And the Nets, what they asked for is ridiculous. And it, as it should be, because it's freaking Kevin Durant. So their ask should be crazy. Their ask, they want two all-stars in return or two all-star caliber players and at least three picks. So they're not necessarily asking for five picks like the Rudy Gobert trade or four or whatever it was, but they want at least two all-star caliber players. They don't want to do a full reset. They want to get picks for the immediate future. They probably want to keep Ben Simmons, find a way to keep Kyrie Irving, I guess, or they probably don't even know what they're doing with Kyrie Irving once Kevin Durant leaves or doesn't leave. And they want to be relatively good relatively soon. Now, KD, on the other hand, said he only wants to go to a place that has at least two all-stars. So basically, teams, if you're looking to trade for KD, and I said this on last episode, you got to be cautious to make sure that you're not trading for a guy who's then just going to want out in a year from now also. So maybe the Nets just end up saying, hey, Kevin Durant, nobody wants you, so you need to stay for the year, and let's try and win it. Let's try and run it back. Let's try and mend this relationship. And if in a year this doesn't work out, we'll be able to trade you from a better position where we don't look desperate. We'll be able to get a package for you. And we'll be able to choose a destination together. We'll work together to get you to your destination, like the Packers did with Aaron Rodgers. But if that doesn't happen, and now he's saying, well, the teams are saying, we don't want to trade for him because we don't know if he's going to stay here. And Kevin Durant's saying, oh, I'm only willing to go there if they have at least two all-star caliber players. So now you basically eliminated everyone. So of course there's no bidding war. The bidding war is shockingly not hot for Kevin Durant. I'm not shocked. I don't know why the Nets are, and I don't think they really are. Now, I don't know who leaked that, who said that the bidding war isn't hot for Kevin Durant. But like I said, the media likes to play each other. So it could be just someone else in the media just trying to create a story, trying to create something, trying to create a riff. It's either the Nets or KD or some of the other teams trying to use the media personality to either drive down the price of KD, drive up the price of KD, try and get KD to stay, try and get KD to go. Whatever your agenda is, you're using the media to do it. So that's what's happening right now. And this could drag on and it looks like it might drag on. Now, the obvious solution to all this is to just send KD back to the Warriors. Now, that would be hilarious. Um, Everyone's been talking about it, so I'm not the first to come up with that idea. The Warriors have already discussed that they'd be willing to take him on. They could trade Andrew Wiggins, an all-star starter, although we know that's not real, Um, and a couple other pieces, the the young pieces, maybe Kaminga, maybe uh, Wiseman, and they get KD back. We know that's worked before. And for KD, it's the ultimate... F you to the entire media and to all his haters. He's saying, yeah, guess what? This was easy. We won. I don't care. I'm going to do it again. And if I'm KD, he's never cared about what people have said. He's always just done his thing. That's what this whole trade request is. Like Everything LeBron has done has been so calculated and so meticulous for his legacy. His legacy is legacy. And when people say about him and he cares so much, KD has never cared. And now he could really lean into it and just be like, fine, I guess I'll go back to Golden State. And if they rattled off three more championships, that would be hilarious. And by the way, the best part would be if they send Kyrie to the Lakers afterwards and the Western Conference Finals was Kyrie and LeBron against KD and the Warriors again. That would be really fun. And if Kyrie and LeBron won again the way they won that just that one time, even though KD wasn't there, if they win just one game against them, it'll all be worth it. Maybe Kyrie will hit a big three. Maybe Draymond will kick LeBron in the nuts. The NBA will be back to its glory days. All right, so nothing happened in the NBA, but in the NFL, 
I keep talking about how I miss the NFL and I want to talk football. And finally, the NFL gave us something to talk about. It's usually this time of year that they do. So thank you to the Cleveland Browns and thank you to the Carolina Panthers. Baker Mayfield was traded to the Cleveland Browns. And there's a lot to unpack here. So obviously, there's the Deshaun Watson situation. Um, He was traded to the Cleveland Browns this offseason. And we don't know if he's going to play yet for the Cleveland Browns because of his legal situation that he's in. And if you don't know what I'm talking about there, I suggest you Google search that also. He sat out an entire NFL season last year because of his legal situation, because he wanted to trade from the Texans. The Browns then go ahead and trade for him because they were disappointed in Baker Mayfield, who, by the way, was hurt all year last year. And I saw him play live here in Baltimore against the Ravens. And it was tough. It was hard to watch, but because he was hurt. And he doesn't want to come out of the game. And the coaches didn't want to take him out of the game. So they made him look bad. And now they wanted him out. So he's out. And they bring in Deshaun Watson. But they didn't trade away Baker Mayfield. No. They waited till after the draft. Maybe they could have gotten something for him. Maybe they could have gotten a better package. Remember what Sam Darnold got? What Joe Douglas got for Sam Darnold and the Jets last year from Carolina? He got three draft picks, including a second rounder for Sam Darnold. Baker Mayfield took the Browns to a playoff game. And he got a conditional fifth round pick because he was in such a bad position. But I got ahead of myself. The Browns go ahead. They trade for Deshaun Watson. They get him. They're all excited. They traded a boatload of assets to for a guy who hadn't played last year because he asked out and he had this legal situation. Now, they knew the legal situation was going to happen, but they didn't know how bad it was going to get. So they signed him to a contract. And in the contract, now Deshaun had a no trade clause, so he could only go to a team that was going to sign him to a huge contract. So they signed him to this huge contract. And not only do they guarantee him all the money, they deferred the money to the following season so that in case he misses any games this year, he won't miss anything in his paycheck. They gave him a huge signing bonus for this year and deferred the rest of the money so that he doesn't get any money taken out of him. So they're guaranteeing him every single dollar on that contract. Because that's how badly they wanted him because they're so desperate for a good quarterback in Cleveland. And guess what? Now the league is going to come down really hard on him. You know why? Because baseball came down hard on Trevor Bauer. Because the state that the world is in currently, and I'm not going to talk politics or anything on this podcast, but the current climate that we live in and the situation and what Deshaun did was terrible. So I'm not excusing what he did, but I think usually we would be looking at maybe a six to eight game suspension brought down to four games after an appeal. No, it's looking like we're going to get a 17 game full season suspension. And then the Browns have to crawl back to Baker Mayfield and say, hey, Baker, do you want to come play for us still? We need a starting quarterback for this season and you're still under contract and we couldn't trade you because we decided to hold on to you for too long. And you know what Baker said back to them? "Mm, I'm good. No, thanks. So now Baker, who's handled this extremely well, he's handled this like an adult in an interview last week. He said, hey, look, you know, obviously the relationship was severed on both sides. I I have nothing, no hard feelings. I understand, but it's over here in Cleveland. He knew what he was doing. He knew that he wants to get traded. So he's like, hey, Cleveland, time to make a move. It's on you now. By putting that out there, and he did it in a mature way that didn't out the Browns and the Browns now have to trade him. So they did for a conditional fifth round pick to the Carolina Panthers. So I want to start with the Brown side of this and what happened here. To me, this is typical Browns. 
The Browns are historically one of the worst franchises. They're historically so bad at drafting quarterbacks. And this is just another step in that historically bad quarterback drafting and quarterback play. So when the Browns had an opportunity to get a guy like Deshaun Watson, who's an MVP caliber player, they were taking no chances. They were like, okay, we need to go get this guy. But then when you think about what Baker Mayfield has done for the Cleveland Browns, Baker Mayfield brought the Cleveland Browns to only their third, their third playoff game in the last 32 seasons. I mean, he was one of two wins in the playoffs since 1990. Only two playoff games did the Browns win. And one of them was won by Baker Mayfield. Now, if you look at the Browns quarterbacks over the last bunch of years, and I'm just going to go back. Let's start from, let's say, 2004. They had Jeff Garcia, Luke McCown, and Kyle Holcomb as their quarterbacks in 2004. Then in 2005, they had Trent Dilfer and Charlie Fry. Then in 06, Charlie Fry and Derek Anderson. Then in 07, Derek Anderson and Charlie Fry. Then in 08, Derek Anderson, Brady Quinn, Ken Dorsey, and Bruce Gradkowski. Then in 09, they had Brady Quinn and Derek Anderson. 2010, Colt McCoy, Jake Delhomme, and Sensa Wallace. Then in 2011, Sensa Wallace and Colt McCoy. These are all quarterback starters since 2004. Then in 2012, Brandon Whedon and Thad Lewis. 2013, Jason Campbell, Brandon Whedon, Brian Hoyer. 2014, Brian Hoyer, Johnny Menzel, Connor Shaw. 2015, Josh McCown, Johnny Menzel, Austin Davis. 2016, Cody Kessler, RG3, Josh McCown. 2017, Deshaun Kaiser, Kevin Hogan. And then in 2018, something changed. With the number one overall pick in the draft, a pick that they had had before and had struggled drafting quarterbacks, they take Baker Mayfield. And he was the first stable quarterback to be the only starter. Since he started in, he came in for Tyrod Taylor in what, the third or fourth game of that season? I think it was actually the second or third. He started from then for the following through 2020 and then into 2021 until he got hurt in 2021. And even then he started 14 games. So we're talking about 45 consecutive games started by Baker Mayfield. In 2020, he brought them to the playoffs with an 11-5 and record and won a playoff game. But you're so desperate that you give that guy up. That's the guy that you needed to get rid of. Now, I agree. Deshaun Watson is light years ahead of Baker Mayfield. But you finally had stability as a franchise. There are 60 quarterbacks in the history of the Browns franchise going back to 1946. Baker is fifth all-time in starts. In only four seasons, including a season he was hurt in. He's one of six Browns quarterbacks all time of the 60s since 1946 to win a playoff game. And you were so desperate, you just got rid of him because there was something else that might be better on the market. And by the way, he's not going to be better because by the time Deshaun Watson plays, it'll have been two years since he played. You're giving him all this guaranteed money. You had a guy, Baker Mayfield who's sitting here, yeah, no, he's not the best quarterback in the world, but he's not as good as he was this past year. And he had one of the best years you've had in 30 years as a franchise, and you ran to get rid of him because you saw something that might be a little bit better. And now you're getting screwed by it. And this is on the Browns. This is just typical Browns, a franchise that has been terrible at drafting quarterbacks, terrible at the quarterback position, period. And they just continue to be terrible at the quarterback position with this move. That's what's happening. That's really what's happening when you break it down for the Brown side of it. They give Deshaun the huge contract, and all they can get back for Baker Mayfield is a conditional fifth-round pick. What it comes down to is the dysfunction of the Cleveland franchise transcends everything. So no matter what was going on, they had Baker Mayfield. No matter what was happening in the news, they just needed to mess it up somehow because this franchise has and always will be dysfunctional. And so they continue to be. 
And so they had a guy, they finally had a guy who's fifth in their history and games started at quarterback in only four seasons because they've never had stability. You finally had stability and they got rid of him because it wasn't good enough for them. And I'm not saying he's a better quarterback than Deshaun Watson. I'm not saying you're going to win a Super Bowl with him. And I know the goal, the objective is to win a Super Bowl. And if you think you can improve your team, then go do it. But now with a guy who's proven that he doesn't want to play for a team the last year and might get suspended, and then when he does come back, it's going to be after two years out of the league. And who knows what's going to be happening then. And the money difference and everything that comes with it, only the Browns would do that. And then there's the Panthers side of this. The Panthers, another team that has had a hard time with quarterbacks in their franchise's history. And if you think about the last two years of Panthers quarterbacks, they had Cam Newton, they cut Cam Newton, they signed Teddy Bridgewater, they then overpay in a trade for Sam Darnold from the Jets. And if you want to talk about the Jets aspect, another team that has dysfunction at the quarterback position traded away Sam Darnold, but at least they did it before the draft. At least they did it when they got a lot back, way more than they should have gotten for Sam Darnold, but they are able to recoup those draft picks, including a second round pick, like I said before, an incredible job by Joe Douglas. So the Panthers overpay to get Sam Darnold, and then they sign back, they sign Cam Newton again, they then cut Cam Newton, in the draft this year, they take Matt Coral, and then they trade for Baker Mayfield. So they now have three quarterbacks in their quarterback room, five in the last 12 months, they had five different quarterbacks in their quarterback room, and they've given up a second-round pick, a third-round pick, two-fourths, a fifth, and a sixth, all to get a quarterback room of Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, and Matt Coral. Really? And none of those guys are likely going to be the quarterback of your future. So it's just as dysfunctional if you're the Carolina Panthers. And for Sam Darnold, I mean, it's over for him, right? Because Baker's going to outplay him. I remember... Not that long ago, 2018, they were drafted. They were the first and third overall pick in the draft. If you told the Carolina Panthers that in 2022, they'd have the first and third overall pick from the 2018 draft, they'd be like, yeah, that's probably pretty good. But no, it's two quarterbacks who in a span of four years were traded for nearly nothing. Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield played against each other in a game in, I guess, week two or three, which was Baker's first game as a Brown in 2018. And it was a huge deal. And it felt like, oh, this is big. These are going to be two quarterbacks who are going to be really good for a really long time. And now they're at the point where they're both on their second teams and they're both trying to prove that they could be starting quarterbacks in this league. Now, Baker, I still think can be, but he had a lot of help in Cleveland. Like I said, he's not a great quarterback, but they were able to win with him with the pieces they had around him. Darnold is done. Maybe a career backup if he's a smart guy who's good on the sideline. I don't know. But he seems to be done. And by the way, these draft picks that we value so much like I talked about in the NBA, two of the top three draft picks in the NFL, which the draft picks are more valuable, two of the top three from 2018, only four years ago, are now no longer with their teams. What does that tell you? And to me, the Browns panicked. They saw this past season. They saw how bad it was. They overreacted and they jumped and they ran and got Deshaun Watson. And guess what? It didn't work out. Because even if he comes back next year, who knows what he's going to look like. And you had to trade away Baker Mayfield. And you said, hey, we've been so bad at the quarterback position, we need to make this right. But maybe you were making it right. Maybe you had the guy there already. Just the stabilizer. Just the guy to keep the consistency. Maybe that was what was going to work. But no, they pushed the panic button and ran. 
and signed Deshaun Watson to that huge contract and all that guaranteed money, gave up all the draft picks for him, and then they were stuck, and they gave up Baker Mayfield for nothing. And everyone knew they were in a position of weakness. And it's similar to what my Knicks did on draft night. The Knicks actually were able to dump salary way easier than they thought. They were able to dump salary with Noel and Burks after the draft. But on draft night, they panicked. They said, oh, we need to attach a pick to dump this salary of Kemba Walker. And had they not done that, they still would have been able to dump Kemba after the draft and probably could have kept the draft pick. Now, the Knicks recovered nicely. They said they needed to, you know, it's the same thing. They needed to recover from their past mistakes. Same thing as the Browns. It's a similar situation, but they recovered nicely. Also, I called Isaiah Hartenstein. I called him Harkinson, I think, in the last episode, so I apologize. Um, but they did sign Jericho Sims to a three-year contract, well-earned, so maybe I was wrong about that. Maybe they will be giving him some minutes, and I hope he can prove himself. I can't wait to watch him in Summer League. I'm watching some Summer League basketball now. Paolo Bencaro and the Orlando Magic have a nine-point lead over the, or 11-point lead, sorry, at the half over the Houston Rockets, so that's fun. But all this is a reminder of what I've said all along. It's about building and building in the draft and building a team the right way. And so no matter what sport you're in, the dysfunction transcends everything. And building it the right way and being functional and looking at it in a smart way is what wins. Kind of like the Warriors. And I've been promising this for a long time. So let's listen back to the process that made the Warriors great. I do want to go through the timeline because like I said... I think the timeline is something that is really important to look at here because when you realize how much has gone into this and how much the front office gets credit for this and how much the rebuilding of the team around Steph, Clay, and Draymond and how they put them together and how they allowed them to build their own type of style of play and everything that they did that went into this dynasty becoming a dynasty over the last years and really what they did to turn it back into a dynasty when it looked like it was over starting in 2019 is extremely impressive. And yes, there were certain parts I don't agree with. I, I thought in 2020 when Steph got hurt and you saw Steve Kerr just seemed uninterested in games on the sideline. Yeah, there's certain things that I don't agree with with Steph, with Steve Kerr, but obviously the success has been there. We know Mark Jackson started to implement the system of them doing what they do and just shooting a ton of threes. But Steve Kerr obviously took it to the next level. You do have to give credit where credit is due. Um, but at the same time with Steve Kerr, them being bad, they ultimately get Wiseman. Obviously, Wiseman not a part of the team this year. But it started in 2009. It started with the draft, and they draft Steph Curry, one pick ahead of my Knicks. And I always say it's not about drafting him because anyone could draft him. It's about letting him become the player he became um, and really teaching him to become that player, allowing him to be that superstar through all the injuries and everything. So 2009, 2010, that's Steph Curry's rookie season. They go 26 and 56, of course. This is still Monte Ellis's team. Um and they missed the playoffs. 2010, they get David Lee. Um, and in 2010, 2011, again, not great. They missed the playoffs again, 36 and 46. In 2011 is where it starts to change. It starts to turn into kind of the dynasty. And that's already 11 years ago. And that's when they hire Mark Jackson. They hire Mark Jackson. They draft Clay Thompson. All of a sudden, now it's Clay and Steph. You have that backcourt. Mark Jackson is there. You're starting to implement it. But before anything could happen, Steph deals with the ankle injuries, the ankle issues that we know have plagued him throughout his career now. Um, and he misses the entire season. Then they trade Monte away in the 2012. They decide, okay, we want to go with the backcourt of Clay and Steph. We're turning this into Steph's team. Monte Ellis was a big part of that franchise. He was the face of that franchise. And now they kind of pivoted from that. And people are like, hmm, you're pivoting from Monte Ellis, who was considered a really great player in the league at that point. And they trade him away. 
And now it's Clay and Steph, and it's a young team, and it's like, okay, we're building around these guys. This is what's happening now. And in the first year, 2011, 2012, it's a bust. They go 23 and 43 with Mark Jackson. Um, obviously, Steph was hurt that year. Just a terrible team. They take a major step back. That was the lockout year, so it was less games, only 66 games. In 2012, it takes another turn. And if people don't know who this is, you should really learn who this is because. If you're talking about the history of the Warriors and what this franchise has done, I think a major part of that is Bob Myers. I heard an interview of his, I think it was on with Bill Simmons, but I don't remember for sure. This guy is the architect of this team. This guy is the guy who rebuilt this team, built the team the first time, obviously. And he became the guy who changed what this team is and what it is today. The team that you know it. Uh, in 2012, they hire Bob Myers as the GM. And in the 2012 draft, they get... Azili, Barnes, and Draymond Green all in one draft. And then if you think about it, that's basically their starting five. Clay and Steph, and then they have Barnes, Azili, and Draymond was their starting five for that great team. And 2012-13, it pays off right away. That's when Steph arrives. Obviously, he has that game in Madison Square Garden, that 50-something point game where they lost to the Knicks, that great Knicks team. That was a 2012-13 Knicks that won 50-something games. The Warriors, in that season, they end up going 47-35, and they're the sixth seed. They upset the three seed Denver. We all remember that. And then they lose to the Spurs in six. And that's when Steph Curry famously says, hey, we're going to be back. We just got a taste of this. We now know what this is like. We're going to be back. And he was right. They were back. They come back in 2013. They get Andre Iguodala. They trade for him. He was on Denver at the time. And they trade for him. He's like, I saw what playoffs was like in this building. I want to be part of this culture. He was all excited. They get him in 2013. And then in 2013-14, they go 51-31, and 31, so they improve their record by four games. But again, they're only six in the West, and they lose to Chris Paul and the Clippers in seven games in the first round. And it's disappointment. Obviously, the team overachieved from the year before, but wasn't where they thought they could get. And that's when they make the decision to fire Mark Jackson. And Mark Jackson took the team from a 20-win team with a vision to a 51-win team with playoff experience, including upsetting the three-seed Denver Nuggets taking the Clippers to a seven-game series. All that was under Mark Jackson, and yet the team decides to move on and go to a guy who had never been a head coach in the league, was a TV guy in Steve Kerr, and people questioned the decision. A lot of people said, that's not going to work. How's that going to work? And then it does work. Obviously, we know what happens the following season. 2014-15 season, they go 67-15. and They're first in the West. Steph wins his first MVP, and they win the finals in six. They beat the Cavs. Just an incredible, incredible turnaround they go from a team that yes they're on the cusp they're kind of good they're getting there they become 14 wins better in Kerr's first season and they win the finals and it felt like all of a sudden the dynasty was born all at once and you don't remember because this is now 2015 you don't remember all the years before that it started in 2009 and everything they did throughout that process whether it was Bob Myers whether it was Mark Jackson that draft where they get Draymond where they get Harrison Barnes that whole draft Drafting Steph, drafting Clay, and putting that team together and putting in a system finally pays off. And now the dynasty is born. So while it was kind of under wraps and it was being, you know, birthed underground, it's now like a plant that's popped out of the ground and everyone sees it all of a sudden. Oh, wow, this dynasty is here and the whole NBA world catches on. So the next year, it's all about the dynasty. They trade away David Lee, though, uh, who was a big face of the franchise. Also, they decide to move on from him. And in the 2015 and 16 season, they start the season 24 and 0. And we all know how this goes. They end up going 73 and 9. Steph wins the unanimous 
MVP. One of the greatest seasons anyone's seen is Steph Curry in 2015 and 16. They go down to OKC 3-1 against KD and Westbrook, but they come back and beat OKC to go to the finals. And then in the finals, they're up 3-1. Draymond gets suspended for a game, and LeBron and the Cavs have one of the greatest comebacks. Kyrie Irving hits the three. LeBron gets the block in Game 7, and the Warriors lose. And the Warriors losing in that game was the first time that changed the dynasty for real because the dynasty had arrived when they win 65 games the season prior to that and they go to the championship and win it that's one thing but then winning 73 games and losing to the Cavs after being up 3-1 that's going to shake the dynasty and it did because obviously they get KD and everything that comes with that with all the criticism that came with that the is this not Steph's team anymore? Everything that surrounded getting KD in that offseason changes the dynasty, but it also keeps the dynasty going because for the next two seasons they go 67 and 15, and they were 16 and 1 in the playoffs en route to winning the championship in the 2016-17 season. KD wins the finals MVP. It's still Steph's team and always felt like Steph's team, but KD just made this team a different level and totally unstoppable. In 2017, in the offseason, Steph signs a five-year Supermax extension, finally gets the big contract he's deserved, even though he was prior to that, he was one of the least played players on that roster. He finally gets the big contract um, that keeps him. So it was in 2017 that keeps him through this season, obviously. So that is a huge moment for the Warriors um, extending. They're saying, okay, Steph, this is still your team. You're still the guy. They're extending him to extend what will be ultimately their dynasty. In 27 and 18, they go 58 and 24. They come back from down 3-2 to Houston. We all remember that series. Houston and Chris Paul. Chris Paul gets hurt with James Harden. They were up. It looked like they had a stranglehold on the on that series. And if you remember that year, Houston was better than Golden State. They beat them a couple times in the regular season. Houston had 65 wins. They were one of the best teams we had seen in recent memory. James Harden was on a different level MVP that season. That was probably the best James Harden season that we had ever seen. And yet they come back and they beat them in the 2018 conference finals to go to the finals. And then they sweep the Cavs. It's the third championship in four years. Back-to-back championship. KD wins MVP again. And now the Warriors are talking about a 3 P. They're talking about four and five years. They're talking about this is not going to stop. This is going to keep going. And that's what it felt like. They get Boogie Cousins in that offseason, 2018 offseasons, which I feel like people don't even remember at this point that they got Boogie Cousins. Um, but they get Boogie and they add him to already a team with Clay and Steph and Draymond and KD. And it just felt like this team was going to be unstoppable. They were. They were first in the West again, 57 and 25. And then in the second round, KD has the calf strain. And now we're starting to think this is where it ends because this team is still great. But you have one injury and all of a sudden it's a different story, right? All of a sudden it's not the same. So KD strains the calf. But then he comes back. He comes back in the playoffs in game five against the Raptors. They're down 3-1 and KD all of a sudden is back. And maybe they rushed him back. Maybe they already knew that he wasn't sticking around and they didn't care. They're like, hey, let's just try and win this right now. And of course, he tears his Achilles in that game, probably because he was still hurt. And the Warriors still managed to hold on to, to force a game six. But it just felt different at that point when he tears the Achilles. It felt like the dynasty was changing again for the second time. And then Clay Thompson tears his ACL. And all of a sudden, it feels like in one moment, the dynasty was over. They lose to the Raptors. One of the great playoff series from Kawhi Leonard. 
And now it feels like it's over. 2019, that offseason, they traded Godala. And now if you look around, it's Draymond with question marks. His role had been minimized due to KD arriving. It's Steph Curry, who we know his his injury history. And now there's no Clay, There's no KD. And then Sean Livingston retires. And then KD comes out and says, yeah, there was stuff going on in the locker room. It wasn't a good situation anymore. He starts talking about how bad it was and how bad it was getting towards the end in Golden State, which I think really had nothing to do with the team and had more to do with the fact that KD never felt like it was his team. He wanted it to be his team. It was still Steph's team. And he was upset by that. And he goes and signs with Brooklyn and obviously brings Kyrie with him and decides, I'm going to recover there and become the superstar there. That offseason, though, the one thing the Warriors did do, and this is Bob Myers at his best because Klay Thompson just gets hurt. Draymond Green's role had been significantly limited over those two years. They lose KD. They lose Sean Livingston. They trade away a Godala. All those things happen in one offseason. And he says, you know what? I'm not giving up on this. I'm not giving up on these guys. He extends Klay Thompson and extends Draymond Green. This is really the birth, if you ask me, of the next dynasty, of where they got to today and making sure the dynasty does not die in that moment was when they re-signed and extended Clay and Draymond in the 2019 offseason. 2019-20 in October, early in the season, Steph Curry ends his season with a hand injury. They trade for Wiggins. They trade away D'Lo, who was really good. D'Angelo Russell was really good on that team, and they trade him away. They go 15-50, and and that's a season I talked about, and it seems like he's just disinterested Steve Kerr on the sideline. But it's like, you know what? We'll get back next year. We'll have our full, healthy team. That's what they thought, at least. But then in 2020... Thompson, as he's getting ready for the season, is out again. He tears his Achilles. So now he has a torn ACL and a torn Achilles in back-to-back seasons. And now he's missing two full seasons consecutively. In 2020-21, they go 39-33, and end as the eighth seed. And then, obviously, that's the first year of the play-in last year. And they lose in the play-in. They don't even make the playoffs. Steph Curry was an MVP candidate. It was like, oh my god, look what Steph could do alone. Forget about what he's doing with everyone else. But now we kind of started to appreciate this guy could do it alone. He carried this team to an eighth seed and almost brought them into the playoffs. And it kind of gave us an idea of what could happen this season. And then 2022 happens. They have the hot start. They're 18 and two. Steph Curry sets the record in Madison square garden for the most threes of all time. It feels destined. Steph feels like he's fully back. Draymond feels like he's fully engaged. And then Clay Thompson returns in January. And yes, Clay Thompson doesn't look like himself. Then Steph gets injured. Draymond gets injured. All of a sudden, it's like, I don't know. This team, we thought they're back. Everything we thought about this team, the rise of JP, the rise of Wiggins, all those guys, it really felt like this team was back. But then it's like, who knows if we're ever to see Clay Thompson as the same t- same guy again. He wasn't the same guy. Draymond gets hurt again. Steph gets hurt again. Maybe the entries are catching up to them. Maybe this is just too much. Phoenix is better. This team's better. That team's better. They get in the playoffs and they start to dominate. And then I think the culmination of in game five, Clay Thompson looking for the first time in three years like himself and looking like the old Clay Thompson, I think that kind of is the culmination of everything. And they go to the finals. And so if you go through that 11 to 13 year process from the moment they drafted Steph Curry till now, and you don't think that's a dynasty and the way they were able to maneuver and can keep the dynasty going at every turn and every point of adversity and how impressive it is and how amazing it is that this team is back and how happy I am for Clay Thompson. Specifically, if you watch the video of him and Ernie Johnson talking and Ernie Johnson was getting emotional saying, 
every NBA fan is happy for you. And he spoke for every NBA fan because that is how every NBA fan feels and how much they love Clay Thompson. But that whole team, I think, has kind of gotten the love of the NBA fan and they deserve it. They're back in the finals now um, for six time in eight years and they have a chance to win it. We'll see who they play, but whoever they play, they do have a chance to win it. That was episode 67 as the Warriors advanced to the finals to play the Boston Celtics. Of course, they went on to beat them. You go back and listen to the full episode as well. My father wanted me to mention that with all that, the Warriors still lost one of the finals when they were 73-9 and to the Cavs and to LeBron James and how incredible that is. I did point out to him, so if you're still listening, I made this point to you already. But I did point out that Draymond kicked LeBron in the nuts, got suspended for a game. Kyrie Irving had two all-time games, as did LeBron in games five and six, and then Kyrie ultimately hit the winning shot. But yes, it is incredible that they were beat by anyone, and this is why I want Kevin Durant to go back to the Warriors, and I want to see Kyrie in LA, and let's run it back. Kyrie and LeBron versus KD and the Warriors, it's going to be awesome. Um, As far as the Yankees, they win in Fenway tonight. Garrett Cole is a problem, though. He's becoming a problem. Um, I talked about this. Whenever they actually need him to make a start, whenever it's a bigger start than average, and we know the demons that he's had in Fenway Park, and specifically against Rafael Devers, it's just there's something mental about him. And I know the second pitch was a good change up down, and David Cohen pointed it out. It's a good pitch. It's not a great pitch, and it's a guy who's owned you. And right before that, Matt Blake, the Yankees pitching coach, comes out to the mound and says, all right, what do you want to do here? There's two outs in the inning. Let's maybe just work around this guy. He's owned you. And Garrett Cole had an adamant conversation with him. You saw he was animated on the mound, and I don't know what was said. I didn't hear any of the post game, but it looked like he kind of said, hey, no, I want to face this guy. I want to pitch to this guy. Leave me in here. And ultimately, that backfired. It wasn't a good decision for Garrett Cole and for the Yankees. And so Garrett Cole gives up two home runs, two bombs to Rafael Devers, a three-run shot and a two-run shot. The Yankees ultimately win. It's a game that the Yankees don't win in the past. The Yankees scored five of their runs on a two-out rally. They were going to strand two runners on base, but they ended up loading up the bases, get a grand slam from Donaldson, and then a second home run from Aaron Hicks. And that's one thing they didn't do last year was score runs with two outs, especially when they had runners on base and two outs. And this year, they've been doing that. They put up 16 runs against the Pittsburgh Pirates the other night. And they win against Boston. They now have a 15 lead on Boston and the 15 game lead, excuse me, on Boston in the division, which is just ridiculous. So, I mean, it's over. Yeah, it's not a huge game, but it was big to see that Garrett Cole could make a start and actually do well against the Red Sox in Fenway. And while everyone's going to look at you and say, hey, he's not doing that bad. He has a 3.26 ERA even after giving up five runs tonight in six innings. And he really only gave up two home runs to Devers, and that was the only damage done against him. But that's bad. I'm sorry. We can't start like nitpicking everything. If you look at the stats for Garrett Cole, yeah, they've been pretty good. But the stats sometimes lie. And that's something I'm going to get to a little bit later. And at this point for the Yankees, though, 15 games up, the incredible historic season, they win their 60th game of the season. It's World Series or bust. And now more than ever, I know Yankee fans always say that, but now more than ever, if you have this historic season, this historic start to the season, Aaron Judge has 30 home runs chasing 62. Although now he's hurt, so we'll see. Maybe he's going to miss a couple of games. He missed one already. It's World Series or bust. And Hal said, Hal Steinbrenner spoke to the media and he said, hey, look, I'm not 100% sure what we're doing at the deadline yet. I haven't spoken to Cashman yet. There's no conversation to be had. It's go get whatever we need. The Yankees have been relatively healthy. Knock on wood, that continues. Now it's about reinforcements. 
Go get a couple of bull- bullpen pieces. That's the only place that they maybe weren't fully healthy, right? Chapman and Loisago are out, but it was kind of aided by the fact that Holmes turned into Holmes and Michael King turned into Michael King. Get a starter who can make a spot start down the stretch for you. You haven't had injuries to the rotation. That is bound to happen at some point. So maybe get a sixth starter. Get another quarter outfielder like we talked about. Joey Gallo has to be gone. He took a walk on a close 3-2 pitch because he's so scared that he wasn't going to get a hit. Although I kind of get it. If you're Joey Gallo, why you, you actually had a good game the other day. Why ruin any rhythm that you might have gotten from that game by trying to hit a 62-mile-an-hour changeup or EFIS pitch from a position player? Which, by the way, baseball, it's not fun anymore. It used to be fun when position players pitch. Now it's happening every other day. Enough. But I guess when you're down 15 nothing, what are you supposed to do? But the Yankees need to get the corner outfielder. They need to overpay. They need to do stuff because it's about this year. Don't tell me anything about the future. Because if they don't win this year, it is a terrible, terrible disappointment with how head and shoulders above everyone else they've been. And whatever they need to get over the hump, which for them, it's probably Houston. Houston has been their hump the last few years. Whatever they need to do to get over that hump and beat Houston, do it. I don't care what you need to give up. I don't need to care what decisions you need to make, what moves you need to make. Enough is enough. It's time to go make it happen. And as far as the money and all that stuff, they said they didn't talk about the judge contract yet. Give him all the money. You see how much it helps when the Yankees are good. The Yankees have had their best month. June was their best month of TV ratings on the Yes Network in 12 years. So when this team is this good, people show up, people listen, people watch. When Aaron Judge is going to be chasing 60 home runs down the stretch of the season, when they're going to be chasing the 116-game win streak, or win record. People are going to be watching and you're going to be making a ton of money. But if you lose in the World Series or you lose in the playoffs again, it's all going to come crashing down. So make the difference. Make the move. That's what the conversation should be with Hal Steinbrenner and the team. Now Aaron Judge did make another comment that kind of confirms that his last comment was not actually what he meant to say. But Aaron Judge said in an interview after the game when they asked him about having 30 home runs before the All-Star game, I think he's like the first Yankee to have two 30 home run seasons before the All-Star break. And he said, it means we're winning a lot of games. Turned it into a team answer. The ultimate Jeterian answer, Derek Jeter-like answer. Speaking of next week, the new Derek Jeter documentary, Jordan-like documentary, uh, seven episode series on ESPN is coming out like they did for Michael Jordan. Um, And that was called The Last Dance. I don't remember what the Jeter one's called. I think it's called The Captain, which would make sense. Um, they just had a showing, I think, of the first two episodes at Yankee Stadium tonight. So that's going to be exciting. I'm definitely going to watch it and eat it up. I don't think it'll be that good if you're not a Yankee fan. But as a Yankee fan, if they had cameras in all those Yankee locker rooms and we have stories from behind the scenes about Derek Jeter, a guy who was pretty private and we didn't know a ton about because he was never on social media until recently and all that. So that'll be cool to watch. Um, so, I mean, I'm looking forward to that. But the Yankees, it's about the team. Aaron Judge is right. It means we're winning a lot of games. But guess what? All those games you're winning don't mean anything unless you win a championship. Now, I mentioned how sometimes the box score does lie. (laughs) And so I want to talk about this because, like I said, not much to talk about. There's no NFL right now, no NBA, no news from the NBA. There's some hockey news. The NHL draft was tonight. The Rangers didn't have a pick because they lost their first round pick after they advanced past Carolina. That went in the Andrew Kopp trade. So worth it. They went past Carolina. I think it was if they win two series if they advance the conference finals they give up a first round draft pick as a conditional pick but they did trade alexander georgiev 
Uh, we've been talking about this forever, them trading him to the Avalanche. Well, all it took was the Avalanche to win a Stanley Cup to actually uh, trade him to the Avalanche. So I think the Rangers now have two picks tomorrow night um, in the second round. So that should be fun. But with nothing else going on, I kind of want to talk about this. So I was sitting on my couch on Sunday morning, and they have these early Peacock games on Sundays now in the MLB. They have a game that starts at like 1130 in the morning, um, and they're on Peacock exclusively a baseball game and it's interesting and they kind of do it with no sound or different broadcasts they try and make it a unique broadcast experience but this kid brady singer was pitching for the kansas city royals he's a right-hander and he was throwing a sinker that started kind of either off the plate or in the middle of the plate and started away from a righty and moved towards the right-handed hitter and he had a slider that started in on the righty and moved away from the righty and he was working those two pitches off each other to the righty and the lefty so beautifully. It just reminded me of how much I loved pitching, just watching guys, how those two pitches look the exact same. They're about five miles an hour apart in speed. They look the exact same out of the hand coming in at the last second. That slider was diving down and into lefties. And the sinker that looked like it was going to come dive down and in at you all of a sudden took a turn and caught the inside corner of the plate to lefties. And to the righties, he was working it in busting the right-handed hitters on the hands and working the slider on the outside of the plate and it was diving down away and catching guys fishing for it it was a beautiful just a job of he had a game plan coming into the game and he executed those two pitches and it's all he needed to do was execute it was real pitching he wasn't throwing like some of the guys we see these days just trying to throw 98 mile an hour fastballs it was awesome um but like i said (laughs) i started this by saying that but the box scores the numbers sometimes lie He threw four innings and was great. And then the top of the fifth was a really long inning for the Kansas City Royals at the plate. And when he came back out, he just wasn't the same guy. And if you look at his final line score, it was like four and two thirds, three earned runs, something like that. Nothing great. And so when I was talking about him on Twitter, like, hey, this guy pitched. This was awesome watching him pitch. People were like, he didn't even make it through five innings. Well, sometimes the numbers lie. So the same goes for Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole's had a nice season. But when they really needed him, and I'm going to have a guest on next week that I'm going to talk to him about this. When they really needed him, it feels like he hasn't shown up in those big moments when the stage just gets a little bit bigger. And so I'm really curious to see what happens. I hope he can perform in the playoffs, but I can't say I'm confident. That's going to do it for me. The next time you hear from me will either be the usual Monday morning, late Sunday night, or maybe it'll be Wednesday. I'm not sure yet, depending on what happens in the NBA, depending if there's news to talk about. Um, if I don't do the Sunday night, Monday morning episode, I might release a podcast Monday night, Tuesday morning, which I haven't done yet. But uh, I'm having a guest on hopefully early next week that I'm working on right now. So if that happens, then you'll be hearing from me a little bit sooner. Until next time, see ya. You were the best nights of my life. You Got the light that always shines I miss the way that you move and the way I get high When you take me to your eyes Like I'm standing in the sky I see your subway cars and your old graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones all I know Everywhere I go oh, oh, I change it oh, oh, oh. Always on my
wanna drive down Riverside See the birds flying on the high line With the sidewalks burning We pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks on a sold out night When the curtains close And the Broadway streets are alive hey. I need your heartbeat close Don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air When I land in another city My time's being just a kid with that empire state of mindset. Kick flipping off a blind deck, dipping from the New York City's finest. Yeah, said I've been up on my New York shit, walking down the block with my New York bitch. I can never leave my city, ain't nothing like it. Even if I do, though, I can never hide it. Top down on the west side when I'm driving, east side be the only side that I'm riding.